You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On NBA Draft. It is the first Tuesday of the month. So that means I've got my guy Leif Tulin here to break down the last month of college basketball. It's going to be a really good episode. We're going to talk about Oregon. We're going to talk about the SEC and some of our favorite matchups that we've seen this year and maybe some stuff we're looking forward to in the month of December. But first, this episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. So um, again, got Leaf Tulin joining me. Thank you so much for making this your first listen of the day on Locked on NBA Draft. Leaf, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back on and talk some college hoops with you. Hey, likewise, it is uh, never a bad conversation when you're on. So I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, if you want to just jump right into it with me, what <laughs> I, I, the obvious thing I think for, like, I don't even feel like the need to ask this question of what has stood out, because I think the overwhelming favorite of an answer is how bad Oregon has been. And they entered as a top 10 to 15 team, if I'm not mistaken, it might've even been higher and they can't beat anybody. I mean, they, they are, just losing games they should be winning left and right I believe they lost to Arizona State what was it Sunday right and it's a disaster of the season what do you what are your thoughts on Oregon well I had high hopes for Oregon like I think most did and I think Dana Altman I still have faith that he'll figure something out but I am concerned I I thought after one loss to St. Mary's um getting stomped by BYU back to back I was like okay that that raises alarm bells but that doesn't terrify me but it's continued they've been bad throughout they've only went like they've, they've won a few games in between those losses and they've been poor wins uh, and that might frighten me more than these bad losses because a loss is a loss at the end of the day you chalk it up and you can you can figure it out um but that that said i am concerned i wonder if the guard play that they expected to get for will richardson uh, the transfers they brought in i expect you know a transition period there but i wonder if the people that they had in the program already didn't make the leaps that people anticipated, such as myself. I thought Will Richardson would be a lot better a, a candidate for an all Pac-12 player, and he's really struggled. And then you got uh, Rutgers transfer, Jacob Young. He's done okay at best. Quincy Garrier has been pretty much non-existent. And I wonder if the loss of Eugene Amarui, as well as Chris Duarte, as we presume Duarte's loss would be uh, unfortunate for their standards, but you know they came in ranked 12th, I believe. And, and they've really struggled. And I think Omar Rui's departure has been overlooked. Yeah, I completely agree. And obviously, um, you know, as Mavs draft, uh, <laughs> I'm very happy with Omar Rui on the Mavs. And it's an unfortunate winner and loser have to come from that. But uh, that's kind of Dana Altman's job is to find that replacement and make someone just as productive at, at the least. Like I really thought Quincy Garrier was going to fill that role very nicely. I loved him at Syracuse offensively. Um, the defense was obviously like the zone. It's hard to actually tell what's what, but his offense has a likely stretch forward with good athleticism, catches lobs. He's shooting 37% from the field and he's a forward. That is completely unacceptable. You look at Davion Harmon, another transfer from Oklahoma, who is a guard, like you mentioned, the guard play has just been so underwhelming. He's also shooting 37%. That team's a disaster. I mean, over the last two years now, they've lost Peyton Pritchard, Chris Duarte, and Omar Rui, like you said, and it, it's really starting to show 
just how much they miss them. Like I, I, the best thing they have going for them is that they're not the worst team in the conference of in the state of Oregon, because Oregon state is to put it nicely atrocious. The best line I saw was that uh, Oregon state yet again is proving anybody can make March madness based on how terrible they're playing. And they really haven't had a crazy amount of roster turnover outside of Ethan Thompson. Do you have any uh, other thoughts on Oregon about like what could be better, anything about their upcoming schedule that might be promising, anything like that? I, I do think while they get into Pac-12 play, they will get better because they're going to have the teams that they, they're playing frequently. They're going to have them scouted out well. Dana Altman is a master of, of transitioning teams from decent to good or good to great, and this year they're going bad to decent, I think is, is kind of what I'm hoping for. Um, I think the guards are too good to be this mediocre. I forgot about Davion Harmon, and Davion Harmon is one of the guys at Oklahoma I really liked last year. I think Jacob Young is a very good defensive player. His shooting, I don't expect to be great, but um, they've, that's three guards. And then when you put in Will Richardson, they've got Biggs, they got Frank Kepnong uh, and Folly Dante, Isaac Johnson. They've got talent. And then, of course, you bring in Quincy Gary, like we mentioned. I think at a certain point, talent can't be held down this long. And I expect them to finish. I thought they were going to be second in the Pac-12. I'm, I've lowered that to about fifth. I think they're fourth or fifth in the Pac-12 when it's all said and done. Yeah, something just to put it in scale, like for reference. Yes, every single loss of theirs has been a blowout. They haven't lost a game by single digits yet. Uh, the closest one was St. Mary, or excuse me, or no, no, that's not true. Arizona State was a two-point loss in overtime. The regulation games, the other three losses were all blowouts. They lost by 12 to St. Mary's. They got absolutely smoked by Houston and BYU, and those are their four losses. They do, I mean, I think for me, their schedule to close out the year is kind of going to tell what this team actually is. You have Stanford on Sunday, so they have a week off between games. They played Sunday. Then they play every three days pretty much for the next week and a half after that. They got Portland, which should be a win. Uh, I'd be very surprised. Then they get Baylor. They're going to get smoked if they don't turn it around. And then Pepperdine honestly kind of feels like a toss-up. The only advantage there is it's in Eugene. I really do like the Pepperdine team. I think this is becoming locked on West Coast Conference based on how much we, we praised that conference. Last week I was praising Santa Clara, now it's Pepperdine. And I don't know, I, I just I feel like that's going to be tough. And then they get Colorado to close out the calendar year, and then it's full-on conference play. Uh, that kicks off conference play for them. So, I mean, would you agree with that, that those games are kind of going to be go that way? Yeah, I think those are must-win games, at least three of those four, because none of those teams you mentioned are world beaters. And other than Baylor, of course. Baylor is going to blow the doors off them regardless of how good Oregon is because Baylor is one of the top three teams in the country. And Baylor um, – and Oregon, even if they were 12th in the country, I'd still take Baylor by 10 points. Um, but Oregon is far from that team that we thought they were coming in. But that said, Oregon has a very good chance to establish themselves early on and what matters is the fact that they have very few blemishes that matter in conference, but they lost to Arizona state. So that's 0 and one, but if they're able to go Stanford and Colorado are both not very good. Harrison Ingram's a good player. There's um, Jabari Walker's a good player, but the teams themselves are not well formed. Um, Tad Boyle's a really good coach. And I believe in Jared Haas as well at Stanford, but I don't think either of those teams are finishing top eight in the conference. So therefore Oregon should get two wins there. Pepperdine in Eugene. I like Pepperdine as well but I think that's a game that they should win because it's at home and they're going to get older and better. And, you know, you get into the conference play and you have, you start gaining confidence. I think a team with that much talent, confidence and charisma is as important as it gets because, you know, 
you, you start struggling, you need to gain confidence in order to play well. And I think a lot of these guys are accustomed to playing well, and now they're having to do it themselves without guys like Duarte, Pritchard, Omarui doing it for them. Yeah, no, I agree. They, uh, they're going to mature. I think this is kind of their maturing period in the next two weeks. Like I said, they got an entire week to practice for Stanford, which I think is probably the second worst team in the Pac-12, which feels wrong, but I'm pretty low on them. They have more talent than they uh, than a team as poor as them should be. But it's going to be very telling about what happens with Oregon. They're, they're one of the biggest mysteries of what happened, except it kind of actually isn't that mysterious. We kind of just broke it down as to why it was pretty straightforward. When you have a six foot eight player shooting 37% and a, and a, a starting guard who is shooting 37%, it's pretty hard to win. So that's, uh, that's the Oregon breakdown. Uh, when we come back, um, we're going to talk about uh, the SEC and just the absolute depth of that conference and how it's kind of becoming a two-sport powerhouse in Power 5 conferences. But first, let me tell you about Truebill and Theragun. Do you know why free trials were new without your consent? It's a business scam to, out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your, link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It can save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, a podcaster, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design also make it even feel like it's a futuristic device, like you're fr it's from the future. It's incredible. Trusted athletes like Paul George, Maria Sharapova, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, players in Real Madrid, they all use Theragun. So try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to Theragun, Therabody dot com slash locked on right now and get your gen 4 theragun today that's therabody.com slash locked on therabody.com slash locked on so continuing our conversation with leaf Tuline, uh the sec has really just taken off this year I, I really don't think there's any overwhelmingly bad teams outside of uh obviously missouri and vanderbilt have been pretty stinky to say the least uh, which was kind of expected these are down years for the program. Uh, Missouri lost Jeremiah Tillman. They also lost, um, I'm blanking on his name, went to LSU, and he he went off the scoring guard. Um, I should have known this. Pinson. Pinson, thank you. I, I wanted to say Pinkney, but uh, Pinson is correct. Xavier Pinson. So they they were on a down year. Damian Ball went to, uh, or I, sorry, not Damian Ball. Who was it that, uh, that went from Vanderbilt to TCU? They lost Dylan DeSue to Texas. Like it was a it was a year to be expected, but more importantly, at the top, uh, the SEC has just been stacked. Like even some of the quote unquote worst teams are really good. Like South Carolina, for example, they only have I think one loss, and I don't know that really stands out. What's your early impressions on the SEC? 
the SEC is phenomenal. I mean, you could make an argument that the seventh best team in the conference, and this is not an argument I necessarily would support, but you could make the argument that the seventh most impressive resume in the SEC thus far is Kentucky, who was ranked within the top 10 of the AP poll. I mean, if you look at these teams, you got Kentucky, who's ranked in the top 10. Alabama's in the top 10. They just beat Gonzaga and did so in Seattle. That was a road game. That was a true road game, whether they say it is or not. Then they have talent. Um, LSU is undefeated, one of 14 teams left that's undefeated. Auburn and Jabari Smith, I'm very happy I chose him as my player of the year. That guy's unreal. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about him come draft season a little more. Auburn, Walker, Kessler, Katie Johnson, and Jabari Smith might have the best trio of players on any team. Tennessee, I would say they their resume is probably a little worse than Kentucky, so my my claim was, was strong, but it, it could be argued. Tennessee has got a lot of talent on their team. They're they're figuring it out. They they lost to Villanova. That's a good loss. Arkansas, another team that hasn't had a loss. They got tested against Cincinnati, came through, and figured it out. They've got J.D. Note playing at all SEC level. And, of course, Florida is a team that I didn't think would be that great, and they've really figured it out and become a, a lockdown defensive team. And Colin Castleton's playing at a very high level, all SEC level as well. So that's seven teams that are tournament locks for me. Perhaps more could get in, but those guys are all locks. And, and if there is the tournament right now, all these teams would be top six seeds. Yeah, and they, it, like I said, it's just the depth is absolutely stupid good. Like you said, Kentucky hasn't even played that strong on the schedule, and their top 10. You look at LSU, it's rising. They just got into the top 25. Arkansas, J.D. JD Note is on another level like he's a would you say he's a prospect at this point like even if it's like late second it doesn't have to be like first round prospect or anything yes yes late second if uh he's not a first round guy but i think he i could see him just going from 45 to 60 yeah he's going to be one of those rare i feel like it's going to be pretty rare to see a fifth year player because technically this is his fourth year of playing but he's a fifth year college player played his first two years at jacksonville redshirted uh the year 2019-20 so pretty much just at the beginning of the pandemic. And then the last two years now, dating back to November of last year, he's been in Arkansas and his production didn't drop off. It's been consistent everywhere. He's been at Jacksonville first year, second year, he averaged like almost identical stat lines of six, 15 points a game uh, on pretty similar efficiency. The only problem is the efficiency has never been even touched 43%. This year it's at 42 and a half and uh, the three point shot will be what, you know, kind of gets him over the hump, but the production's undeniable. 18 points per game, four assists, four rebounds, three steals. And that's on, you know, I like the three-point shooting is holding him down. He's shooting above 50% from two, his best two-point percentage through this point of his career. There's a lot to like about him. I think he's going to be one of the very few fifth-year seniors, but Arkansas is climbing as well. Like the SEC could very well be a six-seven bid conference. Would you agree? Like I think you said like it's six, right? I think they get seven in for sure. Actually, I, I could see them getting eight, but seven, I think there are seven locks. And I would say that the locks are um, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Auburn, Florida. Did I say Arkansas? Yeah. Uh, LSU, LSU and Tennessee. And that's seven right there. Um, yeah. I think Mississippi state could get in. That's not a lock, but you could very easily see eight teams. I think of those first seven I listed, I think all of them, at least if it were right now, I could see top five seeds. I think they'll at least be top seven seeds, all seven of those teams. 
Yeah, I'm hesitant to ever trust Ben Halland over at Mississippi State. So, I'll, like, I'll be completely honest about that. I don't know if I'm going to put that faith in them. Even though they have a really good assembly of players and talent, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I agree, though. Seven or eight teams could easily sneak in. I agree with all seven of those locks. Um, kind of looking forward, there's some crazy matchups this week for the SEC, particularly if you go to Saturday. It's one of the last out-of-conference games, weekends of the year for four teams, especially these top conferences, although the SEC does get the SEC Big 12 challenge the last weekend of January. So some of the games are going to be killer draft matchups or college matchups, depending on which one you're looking for. Honestly, they kind of overlap. Nebraska at Auburn is going to be really good. Bryce McGowan's Jabari Smith, not necessarily the same position, of course, but Really good matchup there. Justin Powell versus McGowan, I guess, the more appropriate headliner. You got Oklahoma versus Arkansas. Colorado State, Mississippi State, huge test for both teams. Kind of like we were just talking about with Mississippi State. Colorado State is undefeated. They're 9-0. They're probably, at this rate, a borderline mid-major lock for the tournament. It's obviously hard this early, and they're not ranked. But starting 9-0 is really impressive, and that automatically gets you a head start when there's only like six or seven other undefeated teams. Missouri, Kansas is no, like that's not anything. UNC Greensboro, Tennessee is not really anything, but Kentucky, Notre Dame is one. LSU, Georgia Tech, TCU, AM. I'm a little bit biased to count this as one. Western Kentucky, Ole Miss isn't even a bad game. And then the best game of them all is Houston versus Alabama, a huge test for an Alabama team that just beat Gonzaga. Which one of those stands out the most to you, Leaf? I got to go with the last one and, and, and Houston, Alabama. Houston's a team that I think has the, uh, physicality and depth and talent of guards. Um, that is not from a power five that, that will push any power five, especially Alabama. I think their physicality could really um, fluster the Gonzaga team that relies on speed. And I will be watching that to see all those guards. I mean, there's, there's some really good guards on uh, Houston, but not to mention Jaden Shackelford's leading the sec in scoring. JD Davison is a monster. He just had a breakout game against Gonzaga of all teams. And really, I mean, he was on people's monitors if you're draft people anyway, but he's really on people's monitors now. Uh, Keon Ellis is another guy in Alabama. And then on, you've got Marcus Sasser, who's kind of reminds me of a college version of CJ McCollum, just a little bigger, like more burly. Um, if you get that, that uh, comparison, I, I don't know if you see that as well, but he's, he's an NBA guard on, Houston, and they've got some big guys in Houston under Kelvin Sampson can really rebound. So that's a test for Charles Bidiaco as well um, for Alabama, who impressed me against Gonzaga. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, and we'll talk about this in our next portion when we recap kind of the last month, the first month, I should say, actually. Um, Bidiaco's got a big test. I think he is potentially an NBA player. I, I don't think he's, he's done this year. I think he has to go back. But there, I love that Houston game. Obviously, it's nine versus 14. That's a no-brainer, the best game. Uh, shout out to Kyler Edwards at Houston, too. Loved him at Texas Tech. Has been great. And uh, just kind of going back, kind of um, just looking at another game that really stands out. Like I, I feel like I didn't talk about this enough, but at the beginning of the preview of this, but Kentucky and Notre Dame, like that one seems really good. I'm big on Notre Dame. I love Blake Wesley. Um, he's really impressed me as a freshman over at, uh, at Notre Dame. And he is very good at getting to his spots. And I think he's a strong, instinctual defender. If you're looking for a sleeper draft prospect, that's the guy. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up, who is one sleeper draft prospect in the SEC that hasn't gotten enough attention 
that you think should. And I'll, if you don't mind, I'll start really quick. Just uh, I, I love Alex Fudge. Alex Fudge is awesome. Six eight forward, really raw, won't produce like crazy amounts. Probably going to replicate the Josh Primo like production where he has a few flashes, but and that's what you have to scout on more than anything. So who's your choice? I think I've got one that I didn't see necessarily coming as a prospect, but I think Katie Johnson of Auburn has opened my eyes. I've watched him and he plays with a passion and Bruce Pearl allows his guards to be extremely aggressive, but not many of his guards. You think of Jared Harper's, you think of Bryce Brown's um, not many of his guards have had the body type Katie Johnson has. He's got like the, the scoring ability and freedom that those two guards, Bryce Brown, and J- uh, Jared Harper had mixed with like a, a smaller version of the body of Isaac Okoro. And he is second in the sec and steals with 2.8 per game. He's also up there in scoring and he's, he's not forcing shots, which was a big concern of mine. I had for Katie Johnson he's scoring si- nearly 16 points a game, uh, two rebounds and assist shooting at a decent percentage, 42% from the field. Uh, he's, he's six foot, but he is really, really, really athletic. Gets a ton of steals and, you watch him play, and his joy for the game is infectious, and I think he really is a cog in his teams. Uh, like the, the, He makes them go. Like His passion created a chance for them against UConn when they looked to be thoroughly outmatched. That game ended up going to double overtime, and he's filled in for where Alan Flanagan hasn't been playing, and it like makes you forget Alan Flanagan was a guy on Auburn that people projected to be first-team All-SEC. And so that's a guy that I have opened my eyes to that I wasn't necessarily expecting to. Hey, I love that pick. I know you told me about him uh, about a week ago, and I'm impressed. The motor is obvious. It is, uh, it is impressive. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the, our favorite matchups, excuse me, of November, the first month of college basketball. Uh, but first, let me tell you about Boost Mobile. You listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone so you can listen to all the latest episodes. The power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line so your family can harness all that brain power too. And the power of one of America's largest 5G networks so you can do it at the speed of 5G. With all the money you'll be, you'll save and all the knowledge you'll gain, just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save Boost Mobile. Disclaimer, free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions reply. Offers and covers not available wherever, all, uh, everywhere or for all phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for details. All right, so welcome back to Locked on NBA Draft. Again, here with Leaf Tulane. Got a, got a fun little portion of this. We're going to talk about two or three of our favorite games of the last, uh, the first month, excuse me, of college basketball. I think this goes without saying Gonzaga will be featured in this. Leaf, do you want to start on your favorite game so far? One of your favorite games? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got three that come to mind, and I think all three for, are for different reasons. Um, it would be pretty hard for me to say that Duke and Zaga wasn't one I was very excited for. Um, that's pretty obvious. you got the two top prospects by most people's eyes, and then you also have, like I mentioned on my podcast, that five Duke players could be drafted in the first round, and I don't think that's a crazy stretch at all. So if you're a draft person, you like that. As a college basketball fan, it was an awesome game. I love what Gonzaga does. It was a uh, it was kind of a new blood versus a blue blood. Uh, that one was awesome to me, and Duke ended up winning that game. The next one, I think, is the team that I've been on for a while, and I was really pleased to see this result. 
it was Purdue and Matt Painter's squad beating Villanova. That was an awesome game where Villanova was up for a large portion of the game. And then Matt Painter's depth, um, the Purdue team that plays nine deep and they basically have nine starters pulled through. Now they're ranked number one in the country, but that was the first true test for them. And then the last one, I've mentioned this to you. I love the UConn team and I love the get matchup between UConn and Auburn. I just mentioned Katie Johnson opened my eyes in that game. Jabari Smith was unbelievable. Uh, UConn has a couple players that I think are great. And I also think UConn is one of the lead contenders to make a splash that isn't ranked in the top 10 right now to be a, a elite eight contender. So those are my three games that have really opened my eyes. And I think both on a prospect level, but also just watching those basketball games, all three of them were awesome basketball games, whether you're looking for prospects or not, or just a fan of the product of basketball and the entertainment level was off the charts for all of those games. So those are my three. Yeah, I completely agree. The battle for Atlantis, uh, Auburn, UConn game was one I would for sure say, um, since you went with Duke Gonzaga, I'll, I'll start with the other end of it. Alabama Gonzaga from this weekend uh, wasn't necessarily the best, like most intense game, but it was just really cool. Uh, I mean, top 25 matchups are always just like that, where, you know, you get the great matchups, I guess, with J.D. Davidson. You got Nolan Hickman on the other side. You have Hunter Salas. You have Andrew Nemhart, Julian Straw. They're like, it's, it's a really good just all-around game. If you haven't seen that, go ahead and watch it. Really recommend it. One of the other ones I really like, this one kind of flew under the radar, I feel like. Um, I mean, I guess it really didn't, but it has to some extent. It's got forgotten very quickly was Wisconsin versus Houston. When I feel like that was kind of the Johnny Davis game where we realized, hey, this guy's probably a prospect, went for 30 points, four rebounds, one assist, four steals, two blocks on 10 of 18 shooting. And that was kind of a thriller. I really also wanted to say the Purdue Villanova game. That was one of the, that is the only game I've watched live on tv uh, of college basketball i usually do all my games on demand i don't really uh, i don't like the refing in college basketball i think it completely kills the flow and just the product is iffy and unless so unless i'm at the game i, I really don't watch it live i watch it all on demand but that was one that was just so fun live and it was just i was into it it felt like a march madness game it really did feel like a sweet 16 elite eight kind of vibe just how back and forth it was how intense it was um, so I really liked those. A third one, I mean, the this is I, I hate to use Gonzaga so much, but them crushing UCLA kind of really helped settle the landscape of what college basketball is like. I don't think any team is really going to go undefeated, um, despite you know having a decent amount. San Francisco is not going to go undefeated. I doubt Colorado State goes undefeated. Uh, some of the others, I just don't really see it. So people are really quick to throw away Gonzaga's success. Like the second, um, the second that those games, you know, anytime Gonzaga loses, excuse me, people are quick to see, see, say, see, they're fake, whatever. They have no chance. It's November. It's December. It really doesn't matter. They're still going to be a threat. But um, and one other leaf, I know you liked this one, the UCLA Villanova game. Um, that was, that was a more of a thriller than the UCLA Gonzaga game. You want to tell about it real quick? Yeah, that game went to overtime, and I thought Villanova was the better team on that night, but UCLA played inside Poly Pavilion. They got spurred on by the crowd. You had, you had Bill Walton, among other legends, in the game. He wasn't commentating, but he was there, and you knew it. Um, I think that was the first game that I really liked, like, feeling the crowd, and you felt the crowd have an influence on the game, and you hadn't seen that because of last year at COVID. There were some great basketball teams. Baylor and Gonzaga – were phenomenal last year. The Gonzaga-UCLA game in the Final Four was amazing. 
but this was the first one where you felt like elite teams were playing against one another and the crowd had influence and a major vested rooting interest. And I really enjoyed that game and UCLA won in overtime. And it kind of, like you said, it put you, you put it into perspective of where these teams rank against each other. And I honestly came away from that game saying both these teams could be in the final four. And I was, and that's not a crazy claim at all, but you rarely see teams play at that level that early in an important game. So that was, uh, that was one I was dying to put in there, but I already had three. So thank you for allowing me to put in my fourth in the <laughs> final four. Absolutely. So to put you on the spot and I'll go first uh, in case you haven't seen the schedules, whatever, but is there any one game that is standing out to you that you want to see this month in December? Uh, because for me, I'm going to choose something I know that is probably not on anybody's radar, but I really love the draft matchup in this. This is purely from an NBA draft perspective. I don't even know if this game is going to be on anything uh, more than the Pac-12 network. But a really good matchup for draft junkies is going to be Arizona host Cal Baptist. If you haven't heard about Cal Baptist, which this is their first prospect ever, 6'5 freshman. Um, he's, I want to say he's from Australia, might be New Zealand. He is through eight games, averaging 12.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, eight assists, one steal on 51% shooting, 32% from three, 77% from the line. Cal Baptist has a super sleeper, could be a better version of Jason Preston. Um, they really haven't played anybody outside of Texas and San Jose State. Texas, he did struggle. He went three of 10, six points, seven assists, one assist, or excuse me, seven rebounds, one assist. But against San Jose State, he dropped the only triple-double of his season, 16, 12, and 10 on just about 50% shooting. So um, he was really impressive. And that, he's going to go against Benedict Mathurin over at or Matherin at uh, Arizona. It's going to be a great matchup. I think that's one of the most underrated and overlooked draft matchups. Leaf, what about you? I don't think mine's as deep as that one, but I do have a good basketball game that I've, I've kept my eye on, and that is coming up this Sunday. Uh, that is Villanova and Baylor. And that is, in my opinion, two of the top five coaches playing against each other and two of – Villanova's ranked six, but I don't think it's a stretch to say two of the top five teams. We'll say two of the top ten for the sake of this. But um, I think we're both on the same page. Baylor is phenomenal. You've seen them reload. This is a match with a Sweet 16 team where Villanova gave Baylor the best run of their money of any team in the country last year uh, when Baylor was fully healthy and not struggling from the ailments of COVID. Uh, they, they were up on Baylor for much of the first half and in the Sweet 16 with a depleted roster, no Colin Gillespie. That speaks to Jay Wright's coaching acumen. Colin Gillespie is back. This is a true test for Villanova to see how good they are um, with their guards, with Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie both there because of the pressure that Baylor is going to put on you. And I also think this is a good test for um, our boy Kendall Brown, uh, who is a lottery prospect in my eyes, because he's going to face some athletes that he hasn't necessarily faced yet. Michigan State had some good athletes, but I think Villanova's team is better and the athletes are older and stronger. So this is a test both for prospects but also I think the best basketball matchup this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I'm never going to object to any Baylor praise or any Baylor highlighting. I, here I am finding myself as a Baylor fan. Um, so I completely agree. Leaf, this has been a wonderful episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Leaf joins me every first episode of the month, every first Tuesday of the month. Uh, this one obviously is the latest possible one on the 7th. If you don't follow him already, Leaf, go ahead and show, tell everybody where they can follow you and anything you're working on. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to talk basketball with you. 
Um, and to find me, it's pretty easy. It's just my name, Leaf Too Lean on Twitter, L-E-I-F-T-H-U-L-I-N. And I host a podcast called The College Sports Hive, where I talk about college basketball and college football. Our most recent guest is yours truly right here, the host of this podcast. And we talked about some college basketball, our big takeaways. And it's not as much from a draft uh, draft analysis, but we do talk about the players that we think turn the tides in college basketball and talked about some of the teams that we thought could make a final four that weren't expected. And uh, yeah, just if you, if you're interested in college sports, give me a follow. And as always, I appreciate hopping on your podcast. Hey, well, thank you for joining me. Uh, I will be back next Tuesday. You will. Uh, I, I honestly don't know what I'm going to talk about beyond the uh the upcoming games this weekend probably gonna highlight those sec games i know that was about the strongest sales pitch you'll ever hear to tune back next week but i promise you won't want to miss it i'm going to recap the sec is going to be the highlight it's really a must-watch conference uh if you don't want to take the time i'll do it for you and i'll recap you give you the rundown on what you want to know but leaf thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful rest of your day and follow leaf on twitter at leaf to lean